Can it be? Oh, it can be, and it is and shall be. Welcome to another episode of Maine Education Matters. I'm your host, Matt Drouette, card for yet another venture into your earbuds about what's happening in the Education Cultural Affairs Committee. Uh, this particular episode, as I have sworn and promised before, is going to be just a bit of a deep, deeper, deeper, deep-ish I like ish deepish dive into the May 4th public hearing because right now there are three bills that they swear are going to be heard that day. And the thing about the bills on that day, as I've mentioned in a prior podcast or two, is that they have really specific and um they're gonna have these these could have direct impact on a lot of schools. Plus these are going to these bills are going to get a lot of press and they're going to get a lot of um what's the word i'm looking for the word i'm looking for i guess is loudness screaming talking people are going to be like rabble 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 so let's get into the rabble 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 all right uh now if you paid attention to the last uh, podcast that I presented. I went a little bit into this because the first bill we're going to talk about is LD-123. LD-123 is about an act to establish the educational purpose exemption to the prohibition on the dissemination of obscene matter to minors. This is um, presented by... Oh, who is it? Representative, what's his face? Oh, sorry, Senator Libby. Senator Libby is proposing a, an amendment to this particular bill because I think they, when they looked at the original bill, which let's let's go into what the actual text of the original bill says. I know we did this before, but I'm going to rehash it. So there's there is this whole rule in the state of Maine that a person is guilty of disseminating obscene matter to a minor if the per, if the person knowingly distributes or exhibits or offers to distribute to, or exhibit to a minor any obscene matter declared obscene that's the key words there declared obscene now of course anyone who's distributing obscene matter to a minor yeah, whoa that's really bad that's really that's that's gross stuff shouldn't happen okay so the 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 line here is declaring obscenity all right, I've talked a bit about this over the course of this particular session. Never thought I would. Never thought I'd have to bring this up. But we're, here we are in the end of April. Pretty soon it's going to be May. Thank you, sync. And so what this does is this this talks about it's, it's bad and you shouldn't do that. There is an exception to the rule, which is it does not apply to any non-commercial distribution or exhibition for purely educational purposes by any library, art gallery, museum, public school, private school, or institution of learning, nor to any commercial distribution or exhibition by any art gallery or museum. This bill would strike the public schools, so it would still be allowed in any library, art gallery, museum, private school, or institution of learning, nor any... So it wouldn't. the exemptions would still last for those. But public school? Taken out. Okay? The amendment... That was the original bill. And so I think what they realized was that there's this bill is actually not really that practical. And if you're really woke, focusing on things like, you know, K to eight or elementary or K to 12 education, why are public schools omitted from this? 
Why are any institution of learning? Why just why are public schools being singled out? Now, by the way, all I'm saying this is all conjecture. I don't know any of this. I wasn't in the room when the amendments were made, but it makes sense if you think about well, well, why why do they have things like still in there about any institution of learning or private schools, but they take out public schools? So here's the amendment. Uh, the amendment strikes the entire bill, and I love it when they do this. They strike the entire bill and replaces it with the following, uh, called an act to prohibit the dissemination of obscene matter to minors in public schools. Okay. Here's the new language. If a matter is declared obscene in a proceeding under subsection 3 and the attorney general or district attorney finds that any public school is disseminating that obscene matter, the attorney general or district attorney shall issue a cease and desist order prohibiting the public school from disseminating the obscene matter. Okay, you with me? So in this case, a if there is a is there a, there's a matter, a a or material that is declared obscene, like it's been defined as that, I guess, and the the AG or the district attorney finds that the any any public school is disseminating that obscene matter the attorney general or district attorney shall issue a cease and desist order so they have to stop it my question about one like i had about the original bill why just public schools why doesn't this apply to private schools why doesn't this apply to any institution of learning why are they left out if we really care if we really, truly, truly care about protecting kids from obscenity, why is it that the these laws do not apply to private schools? Why is that? Further, this definition of obscenity or um, the attorney general, district attorney finding this out, you know, these positions are like, AGs are like, I believe, elected or appointed, I should say, appointed, and they can be political. So anytime one of these things kind of comes up, I always wonder that a, a political side wants to push this and gets this made because it could be beneficial for your side when you're there, but is it going to be beneficial if it's against you? Are you going to want that same thing happening against you in your, in your world? You know, would you... If the roles were reversed, I guess it's that level of what's that word? It begins with an A or sorry, it begins with an E and ends in empathy. Empathy, empathy, empathy. What you're hearing there is me drinking some seltzer because I drink seltzer and me apparently banging on the desk. Oh my gosh, there's, the echo is quite significant. All right. So. That is that bill. Um, I am very curious to hear this one out because I want to get some of these questions asked. And I hope that they ask some of those questions and get those questions asked. Why just public schools? If we care about kids and not being disseminated obscene matter, why is it just the public schools? Shouldn't it be everybody, everywhere? You know, you hear this argument from this side of the aisle all the time. Hey, well, shouldn't... Don't, don't all lives matter in this case? Well, why are they exempting those other ones? Or is it just public schools? Is that the only place where it's happening? Or is it the case that 
um, that because of the way our laws are built, we can't legislate these things into private schools. So we cannot, so attorney general cannot go and legislate or, or send a cease and desist order to a private school for disseminating obscene material. They can't do that, right? Is that what we're saying? That the laws of obscenity flow through a public school but stop at the walls of a private school? Is that what we're saying? And if so, are we sure we want to say that? What are the ramifications of that? And I think that is a, those are some questions I can't wait to hear about. Um, because a lot of the discussion about obscenity, I mean, there are people who are saying that books, that certain books or certain things in books are obscene and as such the entire thing should be removed. And we're going to get to, to that in a second. Because that was... Yeah. So... Sorry, you're hearing a bunch of clicks as my... Apparently... My laptop is off balance, and so as I'm clicking things, it is doing that. Yeah, so anyway, so LD123 being changed around. This is like that for one of those first salvos being being shot out to say, let's talk about obscenity. And, and they're going to dance around this issue, but they're also going to say things like, uh, you know, have you, have you read this instance in Gender Queer? That's kind of going to come up. That's so obscene. Now, I remember in 1994, almost 30 years ago, reading the book The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And I remember finishing that book and and literally crying. Is it really, oh, that hurt. I also remember in high school reading the Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, a book about clear adultery. Literally, Scarlet Letter being A. You know, I remember taking a class on learning about the Bible and religion because I was very interested in those topics. And... I mean, some of the stuff in those books are, are whew, those are intense. Obviously, Romeo and Juliet, like I mentioned in the last po- last podcast or so, you know, shake, a lot of Shakespearean stuff like that, which, is that obscene? Or are there scenes in that that might be sexually sexual in nature? And and if that's a scene, then it's, and it, is that really impacting the entire whole whole piece? Or is that a component of it that really finishes or paints a picture as part of the story that is really kind of necessary to understand the rest of the story? I mean, if you were to read The Scarlet Letter and take out all of the the sex stuff, the adultery stuff, right? You take all that stuff out, you just just remove that, then you have the experiences. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. sorry. I shouldn't have said that either. But you you have this... uh, this experience of this person living life being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Subjugated and attacked 
publicly because of something that she did privately. A lot of this has to do with the pent up. I mean, so much pent up. Uh, another word. My words are failing me today. Just these old old views of what is pure and what is decent and. Why is it that we're okay with our kids watching like Lord of the Rings, which I love, by the way. I'm staring, I'm sitting here at my desk looking at a dragon, literally. I mean, it's a plastic dragon. It's not a real dragon. If it were a real dragon, I'd be probably be eaten by now. Well, depending on the kind of dragon it is. I'm not going to go down this road because I could. I could go down the depths of the differences between chromatic dragons, gem dragons, and uh, metallic dragons if you wanted to, but I'm not going to do that right now. That's D&D lore, and you don't need that on this podcast. What you need here is what's happening in Augusta, which can feel fantasy sometimes. But but a lot of this stuff starting with this particular bill about obscenity is all like, well, we have these weird feelings about like it's, it, it's graphic or it's obscene. Well, is, is the violence obscene? Like, if we're reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there are full-on wars in that. Aslan, the the uh, the lion in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, what happens to him is brutal. Brutal in that book. I mean, should we, are we, that's, that could be obscene. Um, so this is where things get, and I think it has more to do with sex, sexual identity, and sexual orientation, and gender, than anything else. And what I'm really curious to see is if they're going to be honest about that or they're going to dance around it. So let's get into another one. LD uh, 1008. To enact to establish a rating system for books in school libraries presented by Representative Drinkwater and several co-sponsors. The summary of this bill, and we're going to get into the summary and we're going to go into the details in a second. This bill establishes a content rating system for books or written materials in school libraries. The bill requires that publishers that distribute books or written materials to an SAU or public charter school for placement in their libraries, note not public schools, assign such ratings to each book or material. The DOE may disagree with a content rating assigned by the publisher and recommend a rating determined by the department to be appropriate. In such case, the department must provide written notice to the publisher about the rating, and the publisher must either change the rating according to the department's recommendation or cease all sales and distribution of the affected book or materials and issue a recall of all copies sold or distributed to a school administrative unit or public charter school. Okay, so a rating system for books. And we're going to force publishers to do that. And if they don't do this rating system, or if we say, or the DOE says, we think that this should be this rating and the publisher disagrees, then they got to pull those books right away. So let's let's talk about what these ratings are. They, they follow a similar one that we're looking for, for like movies and other things. So you have BKG, or I'm guessing book rated G, G rating book, to a book or written material that is intended for all ages. Content with this rating may contain little or no profanity or violent or sexual themes. PG, a book or written material that is intended to be read by young children only with the guidance of an adult. Content with this rating may contain sexual dialogue or situations, infrequent profanity, and moderate violence. C, or 
PG-13, BK-13. Book or written material that is intended to be read by children 13 of age, years of age or older. Content with this rating may contain intensely sexual dialogue or situations, profanity and intense violence. And then there's BKMA. To a book or written material that is intended for persons 18 years of age or older, content with this rating may contain explicit depictions of sexuality, strong profanity, and graphic violence. Hmm. Okay. Hansel and Gretel. In Hansel and Gretel, uh, a pair of uh, uh, a cisgender male, a cisgender woman have two young kids, identify as, as boy and woman, boy and girl usually. Now, the mother dies, and the father remarries, and the stepmother doesn't like the kids and encourages the father to bring the kids out back and chop them up with the woodpile. The father doesn't want to do that, but also wants to keep this, this, this new wife happy. So brings the kids into the woods with the intention of abandoning them. And does, in fact, abandon them. But at least he does the respectful and honorable thing of letting him know what they're what he's doing, right? What happens to those kids? Well, they they tried to trick them and try to keep a safe place so they would, you know, the whole bread crumbs through the forest. Those got eaten up and they get lost and they stumble upon a gingerbread house with a nice old lady inside. Who puts one of them in a cage and in a pseudo, I guess, homage to making foie gras, begins stuffing food into one of them to, quote, fatten them up, fatten them up, and is then going to bake the child. The one in the cage breaks out, and they have a little tussle, and they push the woman into the oven, into the fire, close it up, and she burns to death alive. Burns to death. Screaming, etc. The kids eventually find their way back home. The father, distraught. Oh, I'm so sorry. I never should have done it. I feel guilty. And this is where some versions of the book say, and then they lived happily ever after, and the stepmother went away. And there are some versions of the book where the father says, yeah, I'm done with you, and then kills the stepmother. Would this be BKG, PG, 13, or MA? Because it's incredibly graphic violence. Is it intense violence? I mean, I wouldn't say that's moderate violence. We're talking about bringing kids back to chop them up with, that's like saw level stuff, you know? But it's a fairy tale. It's been around forever. We all know it. It's, it's kid stuff, right? 
is 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 flat out just straight out murder of someone of something not 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 that big of a deal right so go to Aesop's fables of what's it the frog and the scorpion you know there's a, there's a frog and there's a scorpion right and the scorpion's about to kill the frog and the but the scorpion says hey can you get me across i want i want to can you take me basically something like this i'm going to mess it up entirely but you know you go with me here Take me across this river. And this frog says, I'm not going to take you across this river. You're going to kill me. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill you if you could take me across the river. And the frog says, I'm not taking you across the river. You're going to kill me. The scorpion says, no, I'm not, because that would kill me too. And the frog says, oh, true. Okay, hop on my back. And they go across the river. And then when they're halfway across the river, the scorpion uh, stabs the frog, killing the frog. And the frog is saying, like, why would you do that? Come on, we thought we had a deal. And the scorpion basically says something like, hey, your nature of a frog is to swim and to hop. My nature as a scorpion is to crawl and stab and pinch and kill things and eat things. I'm just living my nature. And both of them drown. PG? G? Jack and Jill went up a hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. By the way, if you go into the depths of that story, it's quite terrifying. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet eating her curds and whey. Along came a spider and sat down beside her. Frightened Miss Muffet away. It's a fun little rhymes, right? They're terrifying stories as well. Snow White is brutal. Sleeping Beauty is awful. If you really break these stories down for what they're... The Little Mermaid is a horrible story with violence, um, some sexual themes in there. Where do these get rated? The ratings become completely subjective and things get ridiculous at this point. Right, So you see where I'm kind of going with it. Am I being a bit extreme? Maybe. But also not. Because what happens here is if the publisher comes with a rating and the DOE, and the Commissioner of Education, which are political appointees and can change over time. If they say we want this rating to be changed and then the publisher says, nah, we ain't going to do that because we have our own independent commission is going to be rating these things based on you yahoos who created this whole rule to begin with. And then the commissioner of education says, neener, 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 we don't want these books anymore. Then they're all gone. We pull them from the shelves. What about Night by Ellie Wiesel? Hmm? What about any historical book that talks about the history of the genocide? Which is going to be violent. Main Native American history or just Native American, Native American studies? That's going to be incredibly violent. You want to talk about the story of Sacagawea? That ain't a nice and pleasant story. It's not, oh, she led Lewis and Clark. No, 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 no. That was an indentured slave. Let's be very clear about what happened to her. Same thing with, with Pocahontas. It ain't the Disney version. That ain't the real version. I want to talk about uh, what happened to the Incas 
and the and the Mayans and the Aztecs. That's incredibly violent, very sexual. That's history now we're talking about. A publisher may not sell or distribute to a school, SAU or public charter school, any book or other written material that is not assigned to standard content rating. Hey, um, Nuzella, you going to rate these things? Nearpod, you going to rate these things? Because any publisher, right? This is a very, very problematic slope that they're trying to pull here. And I'm only going on the very surface of this with what could very easily happen is again, like I said, nope, we're not doing this. Commissioner pulls up. You have to then remove them from the schools. So now our history books gone. A Night by Ali Wiesel gone. Aesop's Fables gone. That's how it can happen. That's what this law says to do, or this bill says to do. That's incredibly problematic. That's where looking at the summary at the first is like, okay, the creative rating system, blah, 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 great, great, great. If they don't agree, let's look at what that rating system is. And then how vague it is, how incredibly vague it is. And with a change in, pol in political leadership, those rating systems at the, at the commissioner level could be adjusted as well. It's not just saying, hey, okay, you out there publishers, create a rating system. And then we will live with that. We'll live with your private organization, your rating system, right? No, no, no. We have the right to veto that if we disagree. And by we, it's those who are politically in charge at the time. That seems, oh, all right. I think I've gone down that one long enough. And finally, on May the 4th, be with you. LD618, an act to eliminate critical race theory, social, emotional learning, and diversity, equity, and inclusion from school curricula presented by Representative Adams of Lebanon. Now, the summary of this says the bill prohibits SAUs from providing instruction in critical race theory, which they don't do, social, emotional learning, which they do do, and diversity, equity, and inclusion, which they do need to do in any school curricula. Now, did I throw in my own personal opinions there? Yes. Is it also, are my opinions also backed up by evidence and fact? Yes. Because let's look at what they're being prohibited, what they're identifying as critical race theory, social emotional learning, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because remember when this whole thing started, critical race theory was the thing. And then everyone in education and around the world was like, hey, critical race theory doesn't happen in public schools, in a, in a K to 12 schools. That's a graduate level law school thing that's very specific about looking at systems and systemic racism, et cetera. That doesn't happen in the K-12 school. That's a specific curriculum, doesn't get applied here. So then what that what that side said was like, well, we're, we're using CRT, critical race theory, to lump in these other things like social and emotional learning. The people who are opposed to social and emotional learning are the people who coined the term snowflakes. And they're upset at people who don't have the ability to self-regulate, to listen, to follow directions well, to who get upset at certain things and who 
that that become that don't know how to deal with necessarily their emotions very well. That haven't necessarily learned how to handle and manage their emotions in social environments, which is literally what social and emotional learning is about. And heaven forbid, when we talk about history or literature or anything in any part of the curriculum, we ensure that when we are using when we are using examples, when we are providing authorship, when we are putting pictures on walls, when we are talking things, that we are being diverse and inclusive to show that it's, that we're not just presenting a singular side of history or of our literature. We do an audit of our books, and if we find out that 99% of the books in our library or in our curriculum are written by white cisgender males, well, maybe we should bring in some other things. Same thing if we were to find that all of the books in our library were presented by uh, non-binary, non-binary uh, indigenous Americans. If it was all that, we should also bring in other sides of it too to, to make a more uh, clear picture for more representation. Because representation matters. People need to see themselves in the teaching and the learning. They need to see themselves in the world in order to help fit in it. In order to provide context, in order to help engagement, people need to see themselves as part of it. I remember being part of some professional learning in a school system at one particular time. And there were some examples being thrown like there are some well, here. Here are here's a here, we need to be focused on, on instructional strategies, um, and, and meaning. Um, let me be a little more 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 clear. Let's talk about a kind of a word that's that's lost some that's lost some emphasis, and it's gotten kind of a dirty word over time. The word rigor. Now rigor uh, doesn't mean just harder. Rigor doesn't mean more strenuous. Rigor doesn't mean just more. Rigor is that combination of complexity or depth of learning and independence or autonomy, a person's individual or able ability to do those things harder. So a person who's able to individually identify and a person who's able to individually critique, the individual critique is more rigorous. Same content. I am identifying Hansel and Gretel and I am critiquing Hansel and Gretel. In order to critique Hansel and Gretel, you have to be able to you know, identify errors within, do comparisons and contrasting, uh, make some kind of sorting and things out, do some listing out, be able to comprehend possibly, create symbolic representations. You have to be able to explain and describe and paraphrase and summarize as well as identify. Identify is way less, is less rigorous than critique. So let's talk about rigor. Let's talk about the rigor in standards. Okay. And I'm going to use an example of a fifth grade English language arts standard. Hand gets raised. Well, what about seventh grade science? Because that's what I teach. Okay. Uh, well, you could do that. What about, what about ninth grade math? And I'm not saying this happened in the district where I'm from. I'm not saying that at all. I've been part of other professional learning in other places too, but this is this is this is stuff that happens. So these specifics 
because the people wanting to do the work and do it well wanted to see where they fit in. They wanted to see how they fit into this, and they wanted specific examples, and that representation mattered. It meant something to them. If you are an LGBTQIA plus learner in a school system and you go through your many, many, many years of school system and don't see any options for representation of anyone or few and far between between the LGBTQIA plus community, you feel excluded. You don't feel welcomed. You don't feel like you're part of it. If you're told, well, when you come here, you have to change yourself in order to fit in because we go with this whole melting pot idea, which means that you lose your individualism to to blend in, literally, lose your individualism and culture to assimilate to what's already here, as opposed to the people who are here accepting who you are, what you bring, and bringing that as part to include in our system, in our culture, to say that more ideas, thoughts, perspectives, the better, as opposed to, no, you have to think like us. Representation matters. And what this bill would do, it it would prohibit the instruction in these areas, right? Let's see what's prohibited, because that's where you got to get into the details here. An SAU uh, may not provide instruction in critical race theory, which doesn't, social-emotional learning, which they need to, and diversity, equity, inclusion, which they really need to, in, so, in school curricula. For the purpose of this section, critical race theory, social-emotional learning, diversity, equity, inclusion means instruction that A, one race or sex is inherently better than any other race or sex. That doesn't happen. B, By virtue of an individual's race or sex, an individual is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. That right there is talking about privilege. And systemic racism, systemic sexism or oppression. And it is saying that we can't talk about that. We can't talk about things that were the GI Bill. We can't talk about how, how housing was, in many areas, was specifically leaving out African-American populations. This is about guilt. An individual, see, an individual should be, should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment solely or partly because of an individual's race or sex. Yeah, that should be prohibited, and it is prohibited under already existing law. What's prohibited to be taught that an individual an individual should be discriminated against? Because absolutely, I'm I'm on board with that part. What also is prohibited? D. Members of one race or sex cannot and should not attempt to treat others without res- without respect to race or sex. Yes, I agree with that. They shouldn't be doing that. We should be respecting that all, which includes our transgender populations, which includes our all LGBTQIA populations, which also includes heterosexual. cannot and should not attempt to treat others without respect 100% like Michael Jackson once saying starting with the man in the mirror 
maybe not the best role model for this conversation, but <laughs> I heard of the yeah, but the guy could sing. You know, there was an there was an old comedian comedian who once I forget I I forget the comedian who did that that bit once, but you know. We're gonna just completely ignore all the terrible stuff because, man, that that that, that guy could dance. Uh, but they, I might, I went to Man in the Mirror, and that's where my head went. E, an individual's what is prohibited. We cannot provide instruction, which meaning that like that an individual's moral character is necessarily determined by the individual's race or sex. Of course not. We're not talking about individualism. We're talking systemic. That an individual. This is this is the one that's going to be the most problem to legislate. F. An individual should feel that's prohibited. An individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress solely because of the individual's race or sex. How are you going to possibly legislate someone's feelings? So if you're teaching something that is going to be hard to learn about to stomach, and you realize that maybe your heritage was part of something terrible and did some horrible things and then you go home and feel bad about that you could be violating the law as an educator oh, i'm getting so mad i'm banging cords what is also prohibited that meritocracy or traits such as having a work ethic are racist or sexist or were created by members of a particular race to oppress members of another race. That language is rough. It's prohibited to say that meritocracy or traits such as having a work ethic are racist. That they're... Or were created by members of a particular race to oppress members of another race. So we can't teach about means like it says uh meritocracy or traits meritocracy or traits that there are traits are racist or sexist or were created by members of a particular race to oppress other members of another race there were literally traits that were produced and and, and that that are anti-jewish that are anti-african-american and black that are anti that a lot of a lot of many 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 uh both uh racial ethnic and religious and sexual orientation and gender identity. That people say that there are traits that identify with them. This would do something like, hey, work ethic's not a bad thing. Don't be, don't be. We're, we're work ethic. Mm. Meritocracy. We are a meritocracy. That You can't say that you don't get along with your merits. Okay, let me ask a question. We are, if we are a pure meritocracy, why is it that women are still paid, what is it, 81 cents for every dollar that a man makes? If we're a pure meritocracy and the meritocracy actually is there in its purest, most idealistic form, why does that still happen? Because it shouldn't, right? But it does. But we can't talk about that. Because the meritocracy, well, maybe that maybe the meritocracy is sexist. No, it's not that it's not the meritocracy by itself. It's sexist. It's the implementation of it and the impact or the fact that maybe there's some things that are in also embedded within that meritocracy that are impacting things of different sexes, 
of different gender identities, of different races and ethnicities and religious identities as well. Maybe, just maybe, the systems that were created by white, cisgender males who had a mostly a Christian ideology or Christian background, even though many, especially the founding fathers, many of them were deists, not fundamentalists. They were deists. If you don't know what a deist is, look it up. It's a fantastic look at what, a re what the founding fathers really believed. Not all. There were some that were very devout and believed fully in the mysticism. And there were many who also were like, no, the, the principles are right, but the ideals are right. Look at a deism in the Founding Fathers. Trust me, it'll blow your mind if you haven't done so already. When you hear us talk about Founding Fathers and this is a Christian nation. Okay, yes, not only that, but it might not be the foundational or fundamental Christian that you think it is. Plus, back in those days too, there was a thing called Calvinism. If you don't know what Calvinism is, that was a sect of Christianity that no longer really exists, but... I mean, so there was Puritanism as well. There, but there were these, there were these, there were these sects of Christianity that no longer exist. Why? Because those sects kind of they, 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 I don't know, moved away from those for different ones. But even still, it's a Christian nation. Well, which Christian? Are we talking Baptist? Are we talking Southern Baptist? Or is it Catholic? A Roman Catholic, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Congregational, Universalist. I mean, which one? And I—that's like that's like not even scratching the surface. We got Lutheran, we got all different. Which which Christian sect? Which which version of the Christian Bible are we going with? And we should be taking it as a whole, not just the individual parts, right? So not just quoting little not little snippets from it to support our beliefs, but taking it as a whole, because it's, of course, not a book that would be deemed obscene, right? Of course not. But the meritocracy, maybe there's some things in the way that it was built that it isn't necessarily a pure meritocracy. Now, is anyone saying that you as an individual, me as an individual, as a very privileged white cisgender male, in this country, I should feel guilty about that. I should feel bad about that. No, I'm not saying that, and I'm not going to feel bad about it, about the things that happened before me that I had no control over. Did I have any control in the way that I was raised? Did I have any control in the life that I was provided? No, I was a kid and I was given certain things. I got to go to space camp, okay? How many people do you know got to go to space camp? Like the literal space camp down in Huntsville, Alabama. I got to go to that, which was awesome, by the way. But how many people? Like, so I, 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 I was able to have some privileges that most kids weren't. But I don't feel bad about that. That wasn't my fault. Now, if I learn that there is systemic discrimination that there is that the that the meritocracy as it's intended maybe isn't as meritoc merit merit based meritocrative as it is intended to be 
Well, then I have to, I have a couple options. I could say, well, it's not my fault and we just got to live with what it, it is, what it is, and we can't do anything about it. Or I could say, hey, you know what? I believe in a meritocracy. I think it should be. So let's work to fix that. Let's work to elevate. Let's work to make sure that everyone is getting the same. It's not reducing another person's rights by giving other people the rights that are equivalent. It's not reducing anything from anyone. It's not taking away. It's not like a give and take. No, no, no. It's simply recognizing the fact that you have something here. You have these rights. These are just rights and ideals and principles that you have access to. Some other people don't and haven't for a long time. And we're saying, let's just move those doors out of the way. You don't have those doors there, so you don't even have to worry about it. I mean, if we're going to be a meritocracy, then then, then that does mean that competition is going to be better. Competition is, there's going to be more competition, but isn't that what we want? We want that competition because we want the best people for the job. Instead of having, well, well just because you might have this these particular doors already open to you and some don't, you have an inside track. Well, it's not an inside track, it's a meritocracy. Hang on. But we just kind of acknowledge that you might have an inside track. So what if we got rid of that inside track? No, 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 no. I don't want that because that's going to impact me. So what the heck? Is it a meritocracy or is it not? Is And would, would anyone be saying that it was done in a way to specifically oppress? And there are examples and evidence that, you know, our country or countries in general, some countries in general, because um, this doesn't talk about just the United States only. This talks about anything. So any portion of history that these systems or traits were built or created by members of a particular race to oppress members of another race. I mean, there was a system of slavery that was put into place that was literally about oppressing members of another race that were created by members of a particular race. I can hear it now. Yeah, well, there were also black slave owners. Uh, okay. Okay. And the, and the percentage? And... Was it created by them or were they just trying were they maybe trying to just figure out a way to survive in the world that they were presented with? And <sighs> May 4th is gonna be exhausting. I'm exhausted talking about it, but you can see by the time on this particular podcast, I'm already almost I'm pushing 50 minutes on this one, and I didn't think it was gonna be this long. But this is what the day is gonna be like. You got three bills on May the fourth. An act to eliminate, educate, well, they've, they've, sorry, they've adjusted that one. Let me get to the actual number. An act to prohibit the dissemination of obscene material to minors in public schools. An act to establish a rating system for books and school libraries. And an act to eliminate critical race theory, social and emotional learning, and diversity, equity, and inclusion from school curricula. I am making sure that I put this podcast out now because if you wanted to provide testimony in favor against or neither for nor against, just informational, now is the time to do so. And the committee needs to hear from as many as they can. And there are going to be some loud people on one side who are going to make a very loud point about doing this. Do I think it's actually going to pass by the committee 
or in the house? No, I don't. I don't think these are going to go. And I don't think they're going to go because politically, the one side to to make these happen, these are all done by Republicans, pushing forward, by the way. Um, And that's not just me being partisan. That's me presenting a fact. But the Republican Party does not have the, the power to pass these things. I don't think they have the numbers. But again, like I've said in a previous podcast, that doesn't mean we need to be exercising complacency. Or you need to be exercising complacency, I should say, if you disagree. I, you, I, you clearly know how I feel on this. You can clearly see how I feel on this and these issues. I'm, I'm not hiding much behind that. I do respect people having the right to express their opinions. 100% I do. And I think that I would spend, as I, as I said before, a lifetime fighting against those principles and at the same time respecting that they have the right to express them. And this is where it comes to the leadership side of it. It's not just about the belief in the ideology. It's about the evidence and support of those beliefs and ideology. And what evidence are we really using in support of this of this ideology or belief? And what is the impact that this belief can ha- that these beliefs can have? What are we really saying here? So, if you want to provide testimony, the the it's very easy to find. The testimony submission page is really easy to find. It's mainlegislature.org/testimony, and then there's a couple of of things to click and then you can write your testimony right there. If you've already written it and a you've gone into Word Perfect and you have um, typed it up or gone to your you know your word processor and you've typed it up and printed that out or you've gone to gone to the, gotten the printer, you know, with the with the little holes in the rotating papers. Which you can hear you can, I can still hear it. I can still hear it and smell it. Was ribbon based. Oh, they were so brilliant. And how long they had to print. If you had a 10 page paper, you're you're printing for like an hour and a half. Anywho, mainlegislature.org slash testimony. That's where you go to submit it. And I beg anybody and everybody, if you feel strongly or even marginally on these issues, let the committee know. Let them know. Let them know how you feel. It's going to be another busy day, a busy week. Things are still continuing to go. And I know that the legislature doesn't have that much longer to be voting on bills. And so what I'm going to be doing now is moving a little bit further away from not. I'm going to be following the Education Cultural Affairs Committee, of course, what's going on, because I want to make sure that you get a chance to know what's happening, what's coming forward in the legislature. But I'm also going to start paying more attention to and presenting information on bills that have been passed by the House or the Senate or signed by the governor, because that's starting to happen. We're now getting into that portion of the legislative session. Wrapping up the 131st in the next month or so, the first session, and then we'll go into the second special session later on next next winter, next January, and we'll get more into what that all means later. But I hope that if nothing else from today, from today's podcast, that you take away the following, your voice matters. Your voice matters more than anything else. And if you agree with what I'm saying here, great. Great. If you're sitting on your car or in, on your car 
Well, if you're sitting on your car, you, it's your car. You can do that if you want to. Um, you're, if you're putting a dent into the hood of your car, or if you're sitting in your car driving, or you're at, you know, you're at the gym and you're on a treadmill and you're running, listening to this, and you're just screaming at the top of your lungs like, ah, Matt, you're an idiot. You don't know what the heck you're talking about. You're that. Well, first of all, recognize that you're in a public space and that there are other people who might not be listening to the same thing that you are. And maybe, you know, lower your voice a little bit and respect the people around you. But secondly, I'd also say, great, I'm glad you disagree with me. I would love to have conversation. Let's talk. Let's chat about these things. And let's bring evidence to the table, not just ideology. Would love to have it. And what matters the most is that you have your voice heard and make sure that your voice is heard so that our representatives hear your voice. We are a representative constitutional democracy, and that matters. Your voice matters. It It is, I refuse, I refuse to sit here and do this podcast and be disenfranchised with the process because I've seen how it can matter. It can. Your voice can matter, and you just have to use it. And that's on us as individuals. So if nothing else you take away from this, if these are issues that are important to you, as you can clearly tell they're important to me, make your voice heard. Let them know. And thank you. Thank you once again for listening, for subscribing, for downloading, and for following along with this speeding up podcast as we are wrapping up this session. Um, thank you for going on this journey of another another venture into Rant Island. I'm very grateful for you listening, for me being able to do this. And we'll see you in May. Bye.